0: Wow! like the rowdiness that I feel out here. This is good. Um, how you doing? Good. Uh, my name is Joe. I'm one of the pastors here at New Hope. I, I work with a ministry here that we started a couple years ago called The Greenhouse, which is the college age and young adult ministry. Yeah, Woo there we go. Um, uh, we've got some really exciting things that we've been doing this, this uh, fall. We, we kind of took The Greenhouse and we divided it into, into two groups at this point. It's still really one community, but we've relaunched part of that back into um, South Campus at MSU and, um, and we're really trying to make even more of an impact on MSU's campus. And then the other community is more geared toward kind of young adults. And so if you're in either one of those camps, I'd love to meet you uh, afterward and just see if I can help you get better connected. Uh, you know what's so cool about you being here today, though, too, is whether you've been around New Hope for a long time or this is your first week. We're kind of all new here. I mean, this is my third week in this building. The first time I was here after our summer missions for the summer, we came back. I couldn't believe that you could actually fit two people down an aisle. I mean, I, I could walk by somebody and not like actually brush up against them, which I really appreciated. Um, And so, uh, you know, I'm one of the guys that get a chance to preach when Mark, uh, our senior pastor, is taking a breather. And and even though I have a pretty significant role here, you know, just as a pastor, I still feel new. And so I just say that to say this, if you feel unsettled at all, you're not alone. And so again, if you're in that category, I'd love to meet you after we're done as well and see if I can just get to know you a little bit and kind of help you get a little bit better connected. Let's pray, and then we're going to dive into what I believe God has for us this morning. Father, we're, we're so thankful that we get a chance to worship you this morning. We get a chance to, to sing your praise, God, because you are worth our, everything we have. You're worth everything we could ever do, everything we could ever give. And we just know that. I mean, you, you have convinced us of that by your great love for us and what you did for us on the cross. And God, today I, I just pray that, and I pray this regularly, Lord, that you would help me and us to be doers of your word, that we would be not only people who look at your word, but we would actually live it out. God, would you give us the grace to do that? We ask that you teach us today in, in Jesus' name. Amen. And so if you're new with us, I've been ma- making my way through this letter in the New Testament called 1 Thessalonians. You may not have known this, but the, our, the New Testament we have in our Bible was made up of actually a couple different genres of writing. And one of those is, uh, is a letter. And so most of the New Testament is a series of letters that early church leaders wrote to churches in cities all over the Roman Empire. The letter that we're looking at today was written to a, city, uh, to a church in a city called Thessalonica. And it's one of the coolest letters, in my opinion, in the New Testament. Paul is the, uh, is the writer of this letter. And what he did is he, he traveled all over the Roman Empire and started these churches in different cities. And, it, and, he, and so he started a church in this city. And it was an amazing church. What made it amazing was really the radical obedience that these people had to Jesus. See, after becoming Christians, they turned away from idol worship. And the life transformation that they experienced was so profound that the the impact was felt for hundreds of miles around this city. This young church became an example to all the other churches in this region of Macedonia and Achaia. And, And that's why I titled this series The Church at Her Best. Because we see in this church what we as a church could look like if we committed ourselves to knowing and loving Jesus the way these people did. Today we're looking at the second to last section of this letter and really some very practical and applicable teaching for New Hope in 2019. At at first glance, when you look at these these four verses that we're going to look at, it could seem like it's just a series of like, Concluding thoughts that Paul basically just kind of crammed in at the end of this letter. He's like, I got to data dump all this stuff on you guys because there's all this stuff I need to impart to you. And I love again how this speaks into our world here at New Hope. If you were to look at these verses, you would see that they all have to do with being a healthy church. Now, you would think that it wouldn't be that difficult to be a healthy, thriving church community. But churches have had major issues ever since the first churches were planted in the New Testament. And there are reasons for those challenges. First, we are all people who have propensity to sin. Just because you've become a Christian doesn't mean that you can't make a mess of your life and the world around you. Yes, because of Jesus and his payment for your sin and my sin on the cross when you come to him and you receive him by faith and you repent, you become a child of God. You are fully forgiven. The New Testament teaches that we who are in Christ have been made perfect. And then now we stand, in, 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 we stand before God in, in perfect righteousness because of Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection. That's the gospel message. But we still have this sin nature that we, we drag with us as we walk through life, And God is at work in us, making us more like Jesus. He saves us and he sanctifies us, but we don't fully become like Jesus until we stand before him. And so if you're in Christ, you're a child of God, but there's still this struggle with sin that we deal with. And we bring that into the church community. Second, we also have an adversary. The Bible says that the devil loves to deceive and divide people. And when he does those things, he damages the church and he damages our voice and our witness. He tries to trash the church's ability to speak into the world around it, into the culture. I mean, think about how many people that you know that keep Jesus at arm's length because of issues they have with the church. And then a final reason for the challenges that we face as a church community is just the differences of personalities. I mean, in a room like this right now, We have such a wide variety of of personalities. There are Michigan State fans, and then there are Michigan fans. (laughs) There are people who love Star Trek, and there are people who hate Star Trek. Now, that didn't land in the 9 o'clock service, but it should have got more from you. There are also country music fans, and there's everyone else. And God's desire is that we'd learn to submit our personalities to him so that we would be able to have an incredible, healthy community. And so as we're launching a new season and new hope, that the timing of this passage couldn't be better. And so Paul is going to answer four questions for us as it relates to relationships inside and outside of the church and so let's just get into it. If you have a Bible or web-enabled device, you can flip or tap your way to 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, starting in verse 12. And if you don't have a Bible, you can pick one up at the info center as you leave. We'd love to get one of those in your hands. So this is what we read. We ask you, brothers, to respect those who labor among you and are over you in the Lord and admonish you, and to esteem them very highly in love because of their work, Be at peace among yourselves. And so this is Paul's first question. How is the church supposed to relate to its leaders? Another another way of thinking about this is how are followers supposed to follow? Well, let's start out this way. The head of the church is Jesus, right? We all submit to him. He's the senior leader of the church. He's like the senior, senior pastor of his church. Jesus said that, he would build his church and the gates of hell wouldn't prevail against it. And so he's the head. But then he put in place elders and and pastors and leaders to help oversee and shepherd his church. Now sometimes those people do a good job and they lead beautifully and sometimes not so much. In a nutshell, if you wanted to boil leadership in the church down to one primary thought, it would be this. Leaders in the church are people who serve. Jesus said that whoever would be great among you must be your servant, and whoever would be first must be the slave of all. I say this because uh, really there's a lot of screwed up perspectives about leadership in the church. I like the way one writer puts it. He says this, The minister who thinks his position alone should earn him the respect of the church has not read the scriptures. And Jesus would echo that thought. And so when we read the New Testament, we see that Paul outlines what biblical leadership looks like. If you wanted to go home and have some homework for later today, you could look at 1 Timothy chapter 3 or Titus chapter 1. Those give you a good kind of set of qualifications for what church leadership looks like. And what you'll see there is right in line with what Jesus taught. Biblical leadership isn't about charismatic personality. But it's about a depth of character and a desire to lay your life down for Jesus and for his people. And when that's the kind of leadership you're surrounded by, it's not hard to obey what uh, what Paul's talking about here. But notice there's no asterisk or, or disclosure or fine print in what Paul's writing. Paul doesn't say, hey, if leaders are leading in a godly manner, then you should respect them. No, Paul just says this. He says, respect those who labor among you. The people who work hard, the the Greek there means to the point of exhaustion. And so the people who lay their lives down to the point of exhaustion, who are over you in the Lord, these are the people that you're to respect. And so what does it mean to respect someone? I mean, that's a great question, right? Because we live in a culture that doesn't do respect very well. Well, to respect is to treat a person in a positive manner that acknowledges them for who they are and for what they do. And so Paul says that that's the way we're to treat our leaders. And then he goes on and says, those who are over you in the Lord and admonish you. Well, the word admonish in the Greek is the verb neuthateo. One commentary writer said this. I love what he says. He said that that word may simply mean to instruct But normally it also carried the implication of exerting a corrective influence upon a person who was not predisposed to accept the instruction. In other words, to admonish someone is to speak into someone's life in kind of a way that corrects them. But the problem or the challenge is they're not all that excited about that. See, generally speaking, we live in a world where people aren't teachable. They aren't humble. They aren't interested in in input in their life. And they're definitely not interested in being corrected. But I will tell you this. That you want to be a person who is open to correction. You want to be a person who is humble and teachable. You want to be a person who invites this kind of instruction into your life. Why? Because you and I need input in our lives. We have all kinds of blind spots and areas where we need to grow up and mature. And I don't care if you're 8 or you're 80. It's true for all of us. And I know Paul is exhorting these people in, this, in a way that there's going to be a good you know, kind of family dynamic in the church. But I would argue that there's something else going on here. See, I believe the church is central. It's central to my growth as a Christ follower. And I'm not going to become the person God wants me to become apart from my involvement in a good local church. Guys, I think if, it, the way that, that uh, we think about church in the West would be really weird to Paul and the New Testament writers. If they showed up today and they saw what we consider church, I think they'd be stunned. See, you can't be admonished by someone if they don't know you. I'm not going to correct someone if I'm not close to them as a church leader. And so when I read this passage, I see an invitation and even a call from God to a higher level of commitment to a local church than simply attending on a weekend. I love that you're here, but I believe God has so much more for you than just this. Well, how do I come to that conclusion? Two ways. Two ways. First, I read the New Testament. Second, a lot of it was shaped by my early years as a follower of Jesus. I saw a church community that spent time building into each other's lives. I met with people who were more mature with me, and they helped me grow in my faith. And then I turned around and helped people who were younger in the faith or my peers, and we helped each other grow. And we lived this stuff out, and it marked me deeply. I can remember many times being admonished, being corrected. Two really stand out to me. I was going to share them with you. One time I sat down with one of my pastors at, at Panera, and I remember him correcting me. He corrected my attitude. You see, I, as a young Christian, I had this mindset that, that like, the giftings that I had, the spiritual gift that I believe God's given me, I pushed it on other people. And that happens a lot with young Christians. It's called gift projection. But see, the problem was that that attitude I had was, would have been really damaging in the church. It, I had a, and so I'm so thankful that he did that. And as a result of that, I had a chance to repent of that attitude. Because again, that attitude was caustic and divisive. I remember another time that another pastor admonished me. And if we had time, you would, we could just fill this whole, our whole time with just times that I've been reproved and corrected. Because it's been a lot. I was a part of a, a church planning team. And I wasn't a team leader. Our team leader was a great guy. And there were a lot of things that were uh, strong in his life. But just like anybody who has strengths, we also have corresponding weaknesses a lot of times. And I was frustrated with this team leader. Because he was struggling with laziness and motivation. Which are things that I don't struggle with a whole lot. And I was complaining to the pastor who'd sent out this church plan, And I was convinced that he was going to empathize with me. He didn't empathize with me. He laid into me in a gracious way. And he said, Joe, it's like you don't have the tools in your toolbox to work with people who struggle with being weak, who struggle with laziness, who struggle with motivation. And I'm so glad that he shared that with me because He was right on. And I took his correction to heart. And I've spent years trying to develop a toolbox to learn how to work with people who are different than I am. See, God wants to make me and you just like Jesus. He wants to forge character into our lives. But you know what? It won't happen unless we become people who are open to being admonished. Paul says to respect those who labor and are over you and admonish you. And then in verse 13 he says this, and to esteem them very highly in love because of their work. He says be at peace among yourselves. And the next question Paul is really addressing is this, after someone admonishes you, after you're you're corrected, how are you going to respond Well, Paul says that we're to esteem the leaders that we're under very highly in love even after they've corrected us. And I love that phrase, esteem them very highly in love. You have a a high view of someone. It's a level of respect, but it's, it's warm. Very different than submission in the military where you are required to esteem someone, but it's not necessarily in love. Paul's saying that you love those who serve you and who correct you because ultimately, ultimately their desire is to serve you and lay their life down for you. Now, wouldn't it make sense that, what, you know, that Paul writes what he does here? I mean, because it's more, again, of our natural tendency that when we're corrected, we might be offended. Who are you to speak into my life? Who died and made you king? But see, the leader's heart is to shepherd. If I remain silent about this area that I see in your life, it could cripple you. It could damage the church. It's really for your good and God's glory that a leader admonishes you. The writer of Proverbs would agree with this. He wrote this many, many years ago. He said this, the corrections of discipline are the way to life. Another translation says, The reproofs of discipline are the way of life. I grabbed a hold of that verse when I was a young believer. And I still hold to that to this day. If you really want to know the way to life, it's inviting a few trusted leaders to speak into any area of your life. Don't wait for someone to do it. Invite it. We call that being aggressively teachable hey, if you see some area of my life that's inconsistent with God's word, would you graciously point it out to me? Because I won't be the person God wants me to be apart from your input in my life. I'm just convinced that I need new hope in my life to help me become like Jesus. And as an aside, husbands, I would encourage you to invite your wives to correct you. Now, I probably didn't need to say that because they're going to correct you anyway. But be (laughs) aggressively teachable with your wife. She's somebody who knows you really well. Create a culture of humility in your home. And wife, (laughs) I'd encourage you to do it in a respectful way. Moms and dads, create a culture in your home where you invite your kids to speak into your life. I have been corrected many times for my kids and they don't always do it in a respectful way but I want to help them to see this is the kind of culture that we see in the New Testament. We want to be people who are teachable, who are inviting others to give us input. And so it would make sense as we get to kind of the end of this uh, verse 13 that Paul would say this, be at peace among yourselves. Because, again, when, when, we're, when we're admonished, our, our, when someone corrects us, our natural thought isn't going to be, I'm so thankful that you loved me enough to share that with me. And yet that's the truth. The people who love you the most are the ones who are willing to share something that might be difficult for you to hear. The Bible says, Wounds from a friend can be trusted, but an enemy multiplies kisses. The passage just keeps getting better. We're gonna keep reading here. Look with me at verse 14. Paul goes on, he says this. He says, And we urge you, brothers, admonish the idle, encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak, be patient with them all. And so Paul goes from talking about just this leadership in the family of God in general to our, our role as Christ followers in the church. And the third question Paul is addressing here is this. How does the church help each other grow? Look at his transition. He says, and and we urge you, brothers. And so now Paul is speaking to everyone in the church. And he's giving us a way of thinking about how we can be involved with helping each other grow up in the faith. In the church, we we talk about this uh, as this word discipleship. It's this idea that Jesus gave us that we were to go and make disciples of all the nations. Well, one of the places we start is right here. And what we're going to see is that there isn't a one-size-fits-all approach to this process, Paul says there's one way to relate to someone who is unruly. There's another way to relate to someone who's faint-hearted. There's another way to where to relate to someone who's weak, and there were to be patient with everyone. Well, let's look at each of those three groups. The first one, there's this group that is unruly or idle. Paul says that we're to admonish them. Why? Well, that word unruly means this in the Greek. It means to be careless or out of line. I love what Warren Wiersbe says. He says that this word was applied to a soldier who would not keep rank, but insisted on marching his own way. Paul wrote about this issue again in his second letter to this church. So this was one of those issues that, you know, kind of just kind of lingered on. Well, the idea here is that this person is someone who could easily stir up division or cause arguments. The unruly attitude is the big deal. It was a big enough deal that it led to the church disciplining people who didn't repent of this attitude in 2 Thessalonians. And so the idea of admonishing is really a confrontation with this careless or out-of-line person with the hope that they would repent, that they would turn from their ways to God's ways. Well, that's the admonish the unruly. Next, Paul says that we're to encourage the faint-hearted. The faint hearted person is the person who's struggling and is on the verge of giving up. If you have ever been on the brink of quitting, you know what it means to be faint hearted. The faint hearted person is tempted to throw in the towel on their faith. The last thing this person needs is a confrontation. They don't need somebody getting in their face, they need someone who's going to get real close to them and encourage them. Our goal here is to help this person see that God wants to use trials to grow us up. And we just need to keep walking with him in the midst of adversity. The faint-hearted person needs a friend who's going to walk with them as they suffer. Okay, that's the faint-hearted. The last person Paul addresses here is the weak person. And this isn't someone who is physically weak. This is the person who is afraid of their liberty in Christ, their, the freedom that they have in Jesus. The weak person in the New Testament is the person who's all about rules and regulations. Listen to what Wiersbe said about this group. He said, In the Roman assemblies, the weak Christians wouldn't eat meat, and they held to the Jewish system of holy days. They were severe in their judgment of the mature saints who enjoyed all foods, and all days. And I think it's key that we use the word afraid here because this person has fear that if they engage in some freedom, it could adversely affect their life or their walk with Jesus. So they might respond with a very judgmental attitude toward you. And I think what's tricky here is that a lot of times when someone's judgmental with me, my natural response is to correct them. But Paul says we're to, we're to do something different here. He says that we're to help the weaker brother or sister. And I think what that means is, uh, is that we're to come alongside of them and actually teach them. I mean, put yourself back in first, first century Thessalonica. These young Christians probably had some major difficulties moving from the pagan culture that they grew up in into the church community. I mean, it makes sense, right? And I think we're going to see that more and more as our culture kind of shifts more and more secular and as people come into the church. And so what we needed to do is we need to support these, you know, weak brothers and sisters as people who are fellow strugglers and not try and ignore or avoid them. And then Paul ends his verse with this. He says, be patient with them all which I love that. I love that encouragement for us, that we're to be patient with everyone. And so this idea of of patience is that we willingly, we willingly endure, we willingly suffer, we willingly wait for someone to grow up, to mature. And Paul says that we all need to have this willingness with everyone. Which leads us to verse 15, which is where we're going to end this morning. Paul writes this. He says, see that no one repays evil for evil, but always seek to do good to everyone. I'm sorry, seek to do good to one another and to everyone. And so Paul's last question for us is this. How do we respond when we're wronged? Now, I know that when I, uh, when I ask that question, It may stir up something deep within you. There's lots of deeply wounded people in our world. But I believe Jesus wants to gently speak into this area of our lives. Here's another place where we see how extremely applicable God's word is to us. When we're wronged, our natural tendency is to want to repay someone for that wrong, to pay him back, to get him back. And we see that all the time when we're on the road. We're, we're a culture that's so easily offended. I mean, you get cut off, and what do you do? You speed up, you wrap around that person, and then you slam on your brakes. I just think when we do that, what is wrong with us? Like, why do we do that? I mean, is there even a chance that someone made a mistake? I, I make mistakes when I drive, See, as followers of Jesus, we have no room to justify this kind of mindset or behavior because our King and Lord demonstrated how He wants us to live when He allowed His enemies to crucify Him. And so when we're wrong, the example that Jesus has set for us is to extend grace and forgiveness. I fell in love with the Bible before I became a Christian based on this principle. We get to see what the kingdom of God is like when we read verses like this. In in another place in the New Testament, Paul wrote this. He said, Repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. Peter said this, Don't repay evil for evil or reviling for reviling, but on the contrary, bless, for this is what you were called that you may obtain a blessing. This is what God wants us to be about. And when we do this, this is how we could be the church at her best. It's when we follow Jesus and obey his word. And you know, one of the places that I think is the, the, the most, the clearest place for us to apply this. It's just in our use of social media. The next time you're tempted to to take some kind of cheap shot at someone over a social media platform, don't do it. In your public and private communication, become the kind of person that blesses other people. Paul ends verse 15 like this. He says, always seek to do good to one another. That's the, the church All those one another verses refer to us in the church. And then he says, and to everyone, which means everyone. And so as you leave here this week, I want you to think about these four areas that we've looked at and I want you to just take a moment and kind of do a little self-eval. Four questions I want you to think about. The first one is, do you want to be aggressively teachable? Would you be open to someone who... Who loves you, admonishing and correcting you? That's the first question. The second one, if you were corrected, would you be willing to be at peace and highly esteem that leader in love? Okay, the third question, are you willing to be someone who helps disciple someone else in this church family? Would you help admonish the unruly, uh, encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak, And be patient with everyone? And then, four, would you consider paying back evil with blessing and seeking to do good to everyone? See, the the coolest thing about what Paul ends with here is that our Savior set the example for us, He laid His life down for His enemies. At one point, we were considered enemies of God, and yet Jesus died for you and me. He made a way for you and I to be reconciled to himself. His death, burial, and resurrection made it possible for us to be spiritually awakened, to be made alive. And now with the Spirit of God living in us, we can obey his word. We can be the church at her best. Because of God working in us. And so let's do that. Let's be the church at her best this week. Would you pray with me? Father, we just uh, agree right now that, again, all of this is possible because of what Jesus has done for us. It's not a matter of us just going out and kind of mustering up more strength to do something, but it's really just allowing you to have your way in us. And We ask that you would do that, God. We ask, even, we ask that you would teach us how we can surrender more of us to you. God, that you would make this family a group of people who turns our worlds upside down by the way we live out your word. God, help us to be the church at her best. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, thanks for joining us this morning. I would love to meet you if you have a moment. If, uh, if not, you have a great week, and we'll, we'll catch you back here next week.